common to ask, what can artificial intelligence do to win at games? It's less common to ask, what can games do to develop artificial intelligence? This is a fitting interview not too long after uh, DeepMind's defeat of uh, one of the best Go players in the world. Uh, we're lucky enough in this interview in the Tech Emergence podcast to have Julian Tegelius, who is a professor at New York University, where he focuses on AI and games. Again, not only how AI can win in games, but how games can help develop artificial intelligence. We talk a bit about artificial intelligence in common video games that some of you out there may have played. Uh, Julian ins informs us as to some of the smoke and mirrors effects that mirror artificial intelligence, but actually aren't AI at all. And some of the more innovative ways that artificial intelligence is currently being used in gaming and may be used in gaming in the future to make them more interesting and more challenging. Certainly an interesting interview for those of you who are in the gaming world, uh, insightful in many regards in, in that aspect, but also interesting from a perspective of how AI develops as a field. I hope you guys enjoy this one, and without further ado, we'll hop right in. So Julian, I know we're going to eventually get into how gaming might further AI itself, uh, but I think the other way around, you know, people aren't necessarily so familiar with either. How how AI plays itself out in gaming in in an, in an average, you know, in a video game that people might recognize. Where is AI sort of exhibiting itself? Where is AI being shown in in the gaming world? Yeah, I mean that's a good question because basically, uh, uh, you would people's sort of idea about AI is that well, you build an AI, you build a game, and then you have some sort of AI algorithms to um, uh, to sort of help you control the non-player characters, you know, the enemies in Halo or the characters you talk to in Skyrim or whatever. Um, and uh, and then lots of people think that, oh, we can use lots of fancy AI here. Um, we can use neural networks and evolutionary algorithms and, uh, you know, deep learning, vision, whatever you want to. Um, and then you go to a game company and say, I have a brilliant idea, you know. I can put this into your game characters and it will be super smart. Um, <laughs> and then the game character, <laughs> the game company will say, we're not interested. I'm not interested, that's weird. But it's actually really simple because in most games, you don't really want super intelligent enemies. I mean, it would be super simple to put um, an AI into Halo that was just very good at playing Halo and used all the information that was available to it and just kill you immediately. And okay, that's not the aim. Not a lot of fun, yeah. No, no, it's like, yeah, okay, they shot me from behind. All right, okay, I'll start again and survive three seconds. No, so basically, what what, I mean, AI as it's used in games to control non-player characters is really all about smoke and mirrors. But not all about smoke and mirrors. Wow, interesting. Yeah, games. yeah. Yeah, so it's like, I mean, basically, things, very much of the AI that's used in games essentially to control NPCs um, is essentially pathfinding, um, going from uh, place A to place B and so on. And uh, that's actually sort of, it sounds like a very simple thing, but it's developed a lot in recent years, and there's still like you know major um, advances being made in just like how to get the character from point A to point B while not running into the other guys and avoiding that abyss on the way. Um, and the other thing is like you know state machines putting in putting in different states. There's things called behavior trees these days, which are um, pretty widely used to sort of um, figure uh, move. Um, game characters from different states. Now, this is not what most AI researchers are working on. Yeah. So, a bit of a disconnect between the 
um, uh, between the game researchers and the industry where they don't really understand each other. Yeah. Reasons. Yeah, for various reasons. One, one yeah. reason being that, you know, most game developers are not that interested in developing real AI, or if they're interested in it, that's not, you know, there's no business case for it. No, um, no, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Normally, no. yes. Yeah. yeah. So, 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 so basically what's, what's happening is that, yeah, you, you design the game to, you, to need very simple AI that's easily testable, and then... Um, <clears throat> And that's just to make the game fun to play for the human. You just need the illusion of intelligence there. Um, and because the game is designed to just need the illusion of intelligence, the NPCs don't really do, um, don't really sort of um, need to do anything else. So that's what it is. I mean, there's a couple of examples of like um, um, games that were explicitly designed for characters with really with really interesting intelligence. I mean, you come to think about creatures back from the nineties. Um, what was it called? Creatures. Creatures? Um, so this was a game? Yeah, it was a game from the 90s. I've actually never played it myself. Right? <laughs> Interesting. But I need, I need to get a dust box or something and a copy of it and play it. Steve Grant's game from the 90s where, with, where you actually sort of taught your characters to do things. Black and White is a more commercially successful, um, a sort of more famous example of like game that was designed to, to, use, really, um, uh, to use real AI. Um, and recently something like Verso. Um, and also, like things that come out from the research community, like Galactic Arms Race, um, um, Prom Week, um, and um, Facade, which are like uh, games that come out of research labs, which are made to showcase um, how you can use like more advanced AI in non-player characters. Yep, yep. Okay, so and so they're for that purpose. They're not made by like the big, you know, billion-dollar gaming companies. No, the billion-dollar game companies. They're very. Uh, she was a conservative when it comes to this. Yeah. For the um, I mean, the video game economy is really, really weird, and it's really hit-driven. You know, you invest like insane amounts of money, like up to hundred million dollars, and you make one video game, and it really got to be a hit. And you can't really take any sort of chances with unproven technology. Yeah, yeah, that's tough. So, so everyone's going to work with it. Designers, QA, everybody is super hard. So, I mean, so. So if, if you ask me, you know, where um, where real interesting AI can actually be make a difference to make real video games much more fun, I think it's in a completely different area, which is not at all about controlling the non-player characters, but actually in procedural content generation and um, adaptive games. And let me, so, Julian, if if I can, just to touch on on br brush yeah. over what we just covered, just to digest it for the for the folks at home. Um, you mentioned, and this is interesting. I really, I really want to point out this distinction that uh, what is happening in, you know, Halo or some of these other more popular video games. People can Google the names of these games. You know, the Skyrim's and all these other games um, is not necessarily some kind of machine intelligence. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a moving point. And then it detects when the character enters a certain thing and it runs at it in a certain way or it holds back and then it runs at it. And it's it's sort of very plug and play and may not be what we would call technically AI or is it just such elemental AI that we don't care? Do we even call it AI? You know, what most non-player characters do? The question is always what do you call AI? I mean, call Yeah, it it's, it's rough. It's a very rough yeah. term. So, 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 I mean, and you can see this like AI is any technique to sort of create the illusion of intelligence, then it is, it is AI. But, um, but it's not the kind of 
things that most academic research labs research. I mean, research labs these days research um, deep learning, neural networks, um, um, graphical uh, models of machine learning, evolution of um, knowledge representation, and so on. Most games don't do any of this. Um, and, yeah. So and and so well, most games. I mean, basically, we're using techniques such as um, variations of A star. Um, for um, path planning, um, we're using finite state machines, we're using behavior trees, which is somewhere between the finite state machines and the decision tree, essentially. People might not know what those terms mean. Uh, let's, let's break down some of the, you know, what you had just mentioned, you know, that these, these yeah. quote-unquote AIs in the, in the computer yeah. world are really only using blank. Like, what, what really is that? What's the nuts and bolts here? Um, the nuts and bolts of um, um, non-player character, I mean, um, uh, behavior in most games is like final state machines. It's basically a state chart. Like, you know, um, a character goes from being angry to being... Um, um, so you have, you have a guard in a stealth game, and we typically have different states, like, you know, patrolling, attacking, dying, you know. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, so perhaps in that order. Um, and uh, if I'm playing a stealth game, I'm typically very bad at stealth parts, and I'm just going for shooting people. Um, <laughs> but um, so, so, so you have so, 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 so you have clearly defined state transitions between them, um, and then each um, in each sort of state, the players and, and the characters try to do one of these particular things, um, and. Uh, this is all hand-authored. There's no sort of learning going on. There's no sort of um, adaptation to you as you play the game in any particular way. Because these things are really, really hard to deal with for the design of the game, for the QA, and so on. And don't really add much. Because you're going to meet this guy once in the whole, um, in the whole game. And then you're going to interact with him for like maximum 30 seconds. And then you're over it. And yeah. You know, is that he sort of is doing so this is uh, this is very interesting. It's yeah. smoke and mirrors. So we're talking about very simple kind of just patterned responds when the the real playing character enters, goes into this mode, charges, does this thing, and and we could say that we're interacting with all these characters, but really there's a bunch of rules based on situations that that for yeah. for the most part really aren't artificial intelligence. Now let me ask you this, Julian. Um, there are some games that, for me, really feel like they have to be something we could call intelligence. And you can tell me how wrong I am, you know. But but well, you know, the, the, <laughs> like for example, uh, I'll give you two, and then you can break these down. This is fascinating to me. One of them is Street Fighter. I remember when I was young, I would go to the arcade, and like you know, and there's a lot of combinations of strikes, and there's a lot of uh, ways to adapt and, and jump over a fireball or whatever the case may be. And, and, and uh, that's, that felt to me like, damn, this thing is smart. The other example is, is the StarCraft. I'm sure you're familiar with StarCraft. Back in high school, we, there was a whole, like, we had, like, a typing class, and nobody ever did any typing. We just played StarCraft. So I got introduced to StarCraft back as a kid. And, uh, it's, it's interesting. Street Fighter actually don't know anything about I mean, I used to play Street Fighter ES2 plus Alpha. With my um, with my little brother, and he beat me to pulp every time. That was <laughs> very good. It was like the important part of our relationship that you know he was better at me than, than something. Yeah, yeah. So it's a, <laughs> um, but I don't know what um, what sort of routines are meant. Uh, I used to program Street Fighter. Yeah. Um, what I do know is that 
it's not known for its AI in any particular way, um, and, and you usually play it person to person because I mean the built-in AI is pretty simple. Building an AI that plays the character in um, uh, very well would, would would be very easy because it's just about having superhuman reflexes. Um, um, huh. and that's an easy thing for a computer. Um, so it's like um, you don't need any kind of sort of real intelligence to, um, or you don't really need to write anything for real intelligence. You just need to write something with real reflexes. With Starcraft is a much more interesting. Yeah, thing. that's. I mean, that just that feels like that feels like chess on steroids times six. Oh, oh yes, oh yes, oh yes. Starcraft is such an AI challenge. People don't realize how much it is. So basically, we're talking about chess, which has been beaten, checkers, which have been proven. Solved um, recently. Um, people are talking about Go, where the best, um, uh, where the best sort of um, AIs are not yet at um, human, human level. Yeah, not quite. But but, but but they're sort of increasing quickly, and there've been some sort of really fundamental AI um, advances that have been driven by Go, Go research, pretty pretty fascinating enough. And, um, but um, Starcraft is such a challenge. Now, the reason everybody plays Starcraft against each other. Is that the AI you get with StarCraft when you start playing it uh, sucks? So you know, it it's not a challenge really. Um, and then you can think, oh, you can program a, um, a good StarCraft AI. Well, there's been a StarCraft. There's actually currently three different StarCraft AI competitions running. One affiliated with um, the AID conference, one with the CIG conference, um, and one which is standalone. Um, and people do their best, lots of people, lots of enthusiasts um, and hobbyists, but also lots of um, graduate students and professors from universities. And the best um, the best AIs that have been made here are, are not a match at all for like a good human StarCraft. Player. Really? They're not, not even close, huh? No, 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 no. So I've seen, I saw like um, a semi-professional StarCraft player um, um, playing the winner of the StarCraft competition in 2011, I think it was, um, um, at Aiden Palo Alto. Um, and, and, and we had like a semi-professional StarCraft commentator commenting it. And it was such like, such a sort of, you know, um, so ridiculous. I mean, I mean, the human was completely demolishing the AI because the AI could not adapt to the human. The AI was implementing one strategy. Um, and did that reasonably well, um, but then the human saw what happened, um, came up with a counter strategy, and the AI could not adapt to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, and, and got smashed. So basically, um, the problem is that there's so many layers of decision. You have the micro um, moving units around, you have the intermediate um, the tactical phase, you have the strategy of moving units around, you have the overall game strategy, you have the build order, there's so many levels. And coming up with AI that can act really well on all these levels is extremely hard. Goodness. So it's, it's really fascinating. Um, but so, that, that really would involve an, an AI. I mean, you'd have to have some kind of a more serious, like a Street Fighter, like you said, okay, it can block anything because its reflexes are perfect. It knows a bunch of ways of coming into attack, and whenever it makes the first strike, it's going to string the seven other strikes together because it's a computer. It's going to perfectly execute. With StarCraft, we have so many layers of, of depth and strategy, counter-strategy. It sounds like, is that in fact, if we, got, if we got something that could beat a human there, it would feel like that would be AI, like that'd be some real AI. It's true. I mean, a real, I mean, someone who, who, who does like master level human play StarCraft, 
would have made huge advances in AI. That's that's clear. Um, <laughs> okay. So so that's good so, to so know. The thing is, like you know, even if we had that, it, that wouldn't necessarily be of any huge value to the game companies because you know we already have humans to play against. Yeah. I, mean, I I'm one of the minority that prefers to play with AIs compared to and not humans because. Um, I don't know. I don't like getting playing with four strangers on the internet. Lots of people seem to do though. But you know, it's not, that's it's not really a business case dealing that or AI or they No, games. no, it's it's not. Yeah, you're right. It's it's um, huh? Interesting. I, maybe there's a few rare business cases where it does make sense to make it more challenging. But most of these games, right? Like the the shoot 'em up games, the Halo games, the it's it's not there's no great need like if you want to make the level harder you make the bad guys pop out for more dork corners you make them have more hp you make them be able to shoot venom from you know from 40 feet away instead of 20 and it's like now the game's harder great we don't need to be freaking ai phds over here the game's harder you know what i mean yeah i recently finished bloodborne um, and i consider that what is it what is it called bloodborne bloodborne okay i've never heard of it talk to us about it yeah, you know, Bloodborne is like um, a Lovecraftian action role-playing game that was pretty big um, this spring um, from the same developer as a Souls game, so Demon Souls, Dark Souls, and it's extremely hard. It's sort of famous for being hard. And I finished it, and it's like, it's, it's actually a really, really, really good game. I recommend you all to try it, and don't give up. It's very hard. Um, and it's, um, but I mean, you don't, I mean, you don't need that. There's no sort of particular AI happening here. There's just like some very well-designed animations and some very well-designed state machines and some very, very short windows during which you can sort of uh, um, get your attacks in and you sort of, you can parry the other attacks and stuff like this. And and, and some well-crafted storyline. So, and beautiful graphics. So, I mean, it's a clear win, you know. I totally respect that. But, I mean, real AI wouldn't have much to add to that game. Yeah. No, I can tell you what actually does have something to add to that game. Yeah, go for it. Which is, um, so in Bloodborne, if we return to Bloodborne here, um, there are these dungeons you can enter. Um, some of these dungeons are, um, well, the main game takes place in the city, but you can also enter dungeons. Some of these game dungeons are fixed. Some of these dungeons, um, you can enter a code, and you get a completely new dungeon. Um, that's um, basically um, specific to that code. So that's procedural content generation for you. So basically creating game content on the fly as you um, as you go along, or alternatively in in, in compile time. Um, so um, we um, so and I think that is really the future of where AI is being used in games because we have this we have this problem. So um, you're developing a game, you're putting hundred million dollars into this. Most of um, uh, your um, uh, and you can't fail because you have put hundred dollars million dollars into yes, it. Yes, yes. You make the money back. Um, and most of um, where this goes is not to program in the game. Most of the program, uh, where it goes is to making the world, making the characters in the world, making the story, making all the textures, making graphical effects, things like this, you know, all these things. Um, and still you don't have a very big world because it's super hard and super expensive all this manual work. Um, and, and, and basically think that you're playing Grand Theft Auto. And, you know, in the real world, you can just basically spin a button, find a direction, and drive five hours in that direction, and find a new city with new people, um, when new things are going on, and hear new 
different views and stuff like this. Um, in graphic art, you can't do that because the whole world is just like a few kilometers apart and a few kilometers across in sort of uh, in in real space. So mm-hmm. it's 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 ridiculous small when you think about it because it's so difficult to build it. So game um, content production is sort of in a pre-industrial revolution phase Interesting. Um, right now, but things are starting to happen. Um, that more and more games are sort of starting to include some kind of generation of the world as you go along. And this includes Spelunky, the sort of famous um, indie game hit, um, which every time you play it, you have different um, levels are rearranged and sort of the elements within the levels are rearranged so it feels fresh every time. Um, it only has a few levels, but you can keep playing forever, really. Um, and something like the upcoming No Man's Sky, which is, has this huge universe to fly around in. Um, no one has actually really played it yet because it hasn't been released, but it, it's sort of, it, it's um, already famous um, because of the premise of there being like an, for all purposes, sort of endless world in it where you can go explore. And people seem to really, really want this. Um, standard game development practices don't have that. Now here is where modern AI really could make a difference. So coming up with algorithms that create game worlds as you go along or during production time in various ways. And it's already being done, but people are using pretty simple algorithms for it. Whereas things like in evolutionary computation in particular, but also machine learning algorithms of different kinds, such as neural network and deep learning, could have a lot to come with here in sort of creating the content. And this is something we've been working with in my group a lot recently. Got it. We still put together a textbook on it and so on. That, and I see that there's like very fast, I mean, the, the, the research frontier is, is moving very fast at the moment. So here's like a real opportunity for people wanting to sort of um, use AI methods and games, I think. And, and another another aspect that I wanted to, to get to before we wrapped up the interview here, Julian, is this idea of potentially uh, using games to further the field of artificial intelligence. You know, there's clearly a lot of people interacting with games. There's a lot of relatively easily measured ways of detecting how well, comparatively speaking, a uh, a human versus a a game would would uh, or human versus an AI would perform in certain contexts. Um, with with that being said, how can gaming further, you know, further AI? How could gaming be used to, to actually push the field forward? You mentioned the business cases sometimes aren't strong. Where could it happen? No. So basically, I mean, the first thing you need to notice is that, I mean, if you want, if you want to build AI, you need to test your AI. Typically, I mean, some methods of um, developing AI, such as particularly evolutionary computation, for example, genetic algorithms. Um, they are all dependent on testing all the time. Coming up with something, testing it against the real world, come up with something, testing it against the real world. So basically, almost every interesting real world situation could be implemented in the game, in particular everything that you would do with a robot. And by developing, I mean, by putting it into a game, you can then speed it up, run it a thousand times real time, run it in many processes parallel, and it's like enormously much faster and cheaper. I think that most robotics research should actually happen within game engines. It would be better for, I mean, it would be much more productive with research that way. Um, and not only game engines, but actually finished games, because here you have someone who developed a game which is meant to challenge your um, challenge your mind. I mean, games are fun because they are made so as to sort of, to, to be learnable by humans. Hard to be in the beginning and easy to learn, 
and it is fun to a large part because we are learning them. And therefore, in order to play a game, you need to exercise a number of cognitive skills, and an AI that can play to learn a game is, is interestingly intelligent. So, and, and another, way, another way of getting at this is um, you can ask a question, um, you can ask a question, uh, or ask yourself the question, what is intelligence? And people have been trying to define this for a long time. One definition I like a lot, which is due to Shane Legg, um, was my colleague when I worked in Switzerland at ECM, um, and, his, um, and he's now one of the co-founders of DeepMind. Um, his, his definition is that intelligence is your performance on all possible tasks weighted by the inverse complexity of the task. So that you, how well you would do on all tasks there are in the world, um, <clears throat> but weighted more heavily towards the simpler tasks. Of course, this is an unworkable definition because yeah. you can't test all possible worlds, no. but all possible tasks, you can't actually measure the complexity of them that easily, but you can approximate it. So one way we're working on now um, is something called the general video game playing competition, where basically we would test agents um, by letting them um, um, people submit agents, and then we let them play like a number of games they have never seen before, and the winning agent is the one that performs best over all of these unseen games. Um, and the idea here is that we're using like a large number of games that um, are not. Um, um, that uh, we haven't seen before, so stand in for like you know all possible tasks in the world, and this is a much more sort of fair test of general intelligence than playing one particular game or doing one particular task, because if you do one particular task, you can sort of optimize your your your, your AI to do this particular thing, but if you, but you can't optimize, you can sort of you know cheat if like you're gonna play hundred different games and you don't know which ones. And in the end, we need to actually sort of generate all these games automatically to sort of um, to sort of test the AI with. Huh. So, so this so is a way of this is a way of approaching. In other words, like you said, it's impossible to find all circumstances. And your buddy there, who had you mentioned, he was involved with DeepMind there, or went on to found that, or what did you mention? Yeah, Shane Leck. Um, uh, he's uh, one of the co-founders. Oh, got it. Okay, okay. So he's he's doing well these days. Um, so, yeah, so, so uh, he's eating good. So, so his, his deal is, um, or, you know, his definition functionally, which may, he may or may not have coined, but what you're saying is you can never cal calculate for all realities in this randomly generated game environment. You're, yeah. you're trying to build a, a generally adaptive learning model mode AI that can, that can play an equally well in all these different various permutations of games it's never seen and so maybe you can test ai in that sense in other words you you're not optimizing for chess you're using yep. games as a way to test the learning capacity of this agent exactly and okay, and, and, the, and the general sort of adaptability the general adaptability to any problem in the current um we have something called the monte carlo tree search which is um for anyone interested in AI and games, they should know what this is. I mean, um, it's sort of a really, really extremely useful algorithm that was invented a couple of years ago. And, um, and game players based on this are currently doing reasonably well on this. But, you know, there's a lot of scope for improvement. But, yeah, the basic idea is that um, you test not on one game, but on a large number of games. 
and um, currently we're sort of um, incorporating lots of sort of 80s arcade games because we developed a language and a um, game engine that um, uh, <clears throat> a language and game engines um, that um, that allows us sort of you know uh, implement sort of any 80s arcade game. But in the long run, we will take it beyond that and also like generate the complete games ourselves, which of course is useful for game development as well. For sure. As uh, current current research focuses. So hopefully that we'll we'll be able to see at least in in some sense, and it would almost seem inevitable actually because it's so much easier for an artificial intelligence to interact in in a variety of digital worlds than a variety of physical worlds. Uh, not to mention, you know, embodiment and robotics are difficult, but it just seems like if we're testing an intelligence, um, maybe one way to find a general intelligence is to create so many of these general or these these varied. Uh, circumstances to be able to test it out and hopefully we'll be able to see some progress that way as well. Julian, I really also appreciate you shedding some light on what is or is not uh, what we might call quote-unquote AI um, in, yeah. the, in the gaming world. You know, the smoke and mirrors effect. Maybe people already know, maybe people don't, but the, the underpinnings of that are relatively fascinating. I know we're just about on time. Julian, I want to say a big thanks for being able to share your insights with us today on Tech Immersion. Yeah, thanks, Daniel. Great to be able to talk here. And that wraps up this episode on the Tech Emergence Podcast. Thanks for being here. And remember to subscribe on iTunes to stay on top of the latest news breaks, researcher perspectives, and entrepreneur interviews in artificial intelligence, neurotechnology, and more. And we want to hear from you as well. So be sure to leave a review on iTunes, which are always appreciated, or contact us directly at info at techemergence.com. And remember, all of our entrepreneur interviews and interviews with top researchers from around the world, from Stanford to Oxford and beyond, can be found right on our main site at techemergence.com. Remember to sign up for the newsletter while you're there. So with the best of intentions for a brilliant future, this is Dan Figella signing off, and I'll see you next week.